0: I have some resources here that you're welcome to look at afterwards. Um, there, there, there are four books uh, written on, on no-till vegetable gardening, and I have three of them, so you can <laughs> you can look at these uh, afterwards, and then. Um, I've got, uh, this is a, if you're interested in the, um, the principles and, the, and the, the ideas behind no-till, you know, why, why is no-till important or, you know, what's the significance of it, I highly recommend this little book. It's called A Soil Owner's Manual, and it's, it's written by a... Um, uh, a soil agronomist uh, by the name of John Stika he he spent his career working up in in the Dakotas um, S-T-I-K-A by the way, I, I do have a, a handout that I just Sent to them right before we started so it will be available to you afterwards sorry about that, but <laughs> that's um, you you will have a handout uh, available. So this this book is just it, it's it's very concise and to the point, and um, he he does a really nice job in a in a very small space. What's the name of it again? A Soil Owner's Manual. Okay, by who? By John J O N Stika S T I K A. Thank you. Um, I'm I'm not going to I'm going to just do a very very brief review of of the fundamentals of why we do um, no-till because This this course is intended to focus on the practicalities of how how would you actually do it? Uh, my son on Wednesday did a class on soil building and he covered this information there. If you weren't in that class, you can go back and listen to it. <clears throat> um, I'll, I'll just say one other thing: we're we're calling this no-till, and I feel like it's a misnomer. I'm not sure what it should be called, but it, you know, no-till is 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 not. Um, it's not covering the whole idea. What we're talking about is is a a series of principles that um, that explain well that if you follow these principles, you're working with the laws of nature, and um, you know the the principles help you identify what those laws are and and how you would want to work with them. Um, not tilling is just one of those principles it's not the whole pe- it's not the whole picture and but just for convenience i'm i'm speaking of no till but when i say no till i'm i'm speaking of the big picture not not just specifically not tilling um so let's just say a prayer before we start father in heaven we thank you that you have given us your word um written in the Bible, but also written in nature. And we pray that you would bless as we, as we look at what you've written in nature and um, how we can work with that. Thank you for hearing us and for being with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> All right, so I've subtitled this, How Do You Take Out the Current Crop? and start a new crop without tilling. Did any of you have that thought? <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the, yeah. Just, just a quick, if you don't yeah. mind, you have a lot of I've water. got more, yeah, that's, thank, you, thank so you, yeah. I'm grateful we've got more cord here. Okay. So there there are a few more points to to uh, how to do no-till than than just this question, but this is um, I'm going to primarily focus on that question today. Um, so our story, um, my wife Jennifer here, uh, and I uh, we we both wanted to work overseas. With with poor and underserved people so we we got our master's degrees in public health and we were both immediately hired by ADRA And we spent the next 16 years working in Sudan, Tanzania and Yemen mostly with rural smallholder farmers We came home to the US in 2001 and then after five years following the Lord's leading We joined my brother John on the farm and we became smallholder farmers ourselves Um, one of the things that uh, Really fascinated me coming from a public health background to growing organic produce was the 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 connections that I that I saw immediately between um, human health and and plant health. Um, you know, we come from the soil and we have similar nutrient needs to the plants. Um, and where do our nu- nutrients come from? They come from plants from which get it from the soil. Yeah. And, and then, um, you know, we're Adventists. We, we know that there is a, a certain simple diet that has been shown to resolve many of our nutrition and lifestyle problems and and diseases. So we, we have simple solutions to human nutrition and health. But I began to feel like we were missing something when it came to agriculture. It just did not seem that the solutions presenting to me for agriculture were as simple and direct as, as, the, one, you know, as the, the ones we had for, for human health and nutrition. Um, it, it seemed that they were complex and, and kind of focused on, on soil chemistry. They required soil tests for all 17 plant nutrients, and the tests could only be done in certain laboratories they're not easily understandable by persons with little education the soil tests were expensive and the laboratories were not necessarily available accessible and the amendments needed are sometimes hard to track down and they're also expensive and I you know and we're speaking of this um, from an American perspective but my heart is still overseas you know, what, what's, what's this, you know what, what kind of solution do I have to give to these people working in this field here? You know, the, these kind of solutions that, that we were promoting here are just totally inaccessible to them. Absolutely. You know, there's just no way they can do that. So I, I, I was just um, thinking that, you know, God's solutions... Are always very simple. They can be understood and implemented by a child. At the same time, they are very intricate and complex. And you know, the the greatest scientists still haven't figured them out. You know, their their nutrition is is incredibly complex. They people don't know what happens when when you eat basil and. Um, and pasta you know how how does how does that you know what happens when when they when they mix in your you know in your gut you know the all the interactions that take place you know all the herbs you know we 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 say this this plant has these nutrients and this one has these ones but when they get inside you what you know what kind of interactions are taking place we you know we don't know but, anyways um, You know I, th- I think two examples of this are, are the gospel you know the, the gospel is is just so simple Even a little child can understand it but um, I don't think any of us is going to really understand it After we've studied all eternity You know there we we're not going to get to the bottom of it and and um, you know the whole food plant-based nutrition is the same it's, it's a very very simple concept that anyone can apply anywhere and yet you know if you want to get to the bottom of it it's it's we don't know what's going on so I just kept telling myself that I think there must be something for agriculture that fits this pattern for my sake and for the sake of African farmers and resource poor smallholder farmers all over the world <clears throat> so I think I found it. <clears throat> I'm not going to say certainly. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm I'm still I'm still learning this myself, but it, to me what I'm going to share with you fits the pattern I'm talking about. <clears throat> in Genesis 1:29 to 30, God said, "Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit." You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth Everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food What's the difference between what God gave man and what God gave? the other creatures I, I Pardon the part of the plant that's to, consumed okay? Now, one thing that just kind of puzzled me is, is God really talking about um, what's consumed? I, you know, I I just, I'll, I'm not certain myself, but I, I just wondered, you know, I, I know that, you know, maybe things were different before the fall, but I know that now, There are there are lots of birds and animals that that consume seeds and fruits and things like that And there are lots of people myself included that consume green leaves (laughs) So you know I, I I just wasn't totally convinced that That the distinction here is is strictly about what's consumed And as I as I thought about it I it, it just occurred to me Maybe God's saying something more you know that he he actually has given man mankind seeds as a resource You know something that we can work with you know uh, People people like to try to figure out what's the difference? I'm, I'm t- talking about evolutionists especially what's the difference between human beings and other animals, the rest of creation. This is one of the differences. There, there is no creature that manages seeds, except for man, right? You know, we, we, um, we collect seeds, we store them, we, we plant them for a, for a harvest. There are other creatures that store seeds, there are other creatures that sort of accidentally plant them, but, but not with the intention of, of, of getting a harvest that they would store again and, and plant. But our management goes beyond that. You know, we actually use take seeds, we breed them, and, and we manage them in that way to get a certain outcome. So God has given us seeds to manage, and and what we're we're learning is that seeds can um, be, a, be a tool for us to manage the earth. Even it's it's not just for our health for you know for us to consume, but they, um, plants are a way that we can actually manage the earth. Gabe Brown, I a couple years ago. I, I went to a course and he was one of the the key presenters He's a farmer up in North Dakota. He's got a bunch of stuff on YouTube. I highly recommend you you listen to him um, He's he's farming about 5,000 acres these pictures are on his farm. He does He does um, all all different kinds of crops and cattle um, And notice He told us in in the course that the only input he had provided on his farm for the last seven years was what? Can you believe that? (laughs) I I was blown away when I heard that. I I thought, really? But um, when he said that, my mind immediately clicked back to Genesis. (laughs) I said, wait a minute, maybe there's something really here. Um There that's my grandson by the way Yeah, this is this is our farm so yeah. what is that? That's crimson clover Yeah Yeah, it's so beautiful when it that's blooms Paul, Paul's Yeah, Paul's son, oh. yeah so um, the most potent tool with which to build healthy soil is a living plant. And that's, that's from this book here. You get that, the most potent tool with which to build a healthy soil is a living plant. So how does this work? I, this is where I'm doing the, the quick review of what Paul went over on Wednesday. Um, how plants build soil health and power the world photosynthesis in plants produces among other things carbon-rich carbohydrate root exudates okay so the the roots are exuding this um, carbon-rich exudate there's this film right around the root right next to the root And that film is chock full of what? Bacteria (laughs) and fungi, okay? It's it's just full of them. Um, And so those root exudates feed the bacteria and fungi. In return, the bacteria and fungi supply the plants with nutrients okay this is this is really important and significant I always thought that plants somehow extracted nutrients directly from the soil they don't plants get their nutrition via bacteria and fungi not directly from the soil um, in addition in addition those root exudates, um, sorry, in addition, the root exudates, fungal filaments, the hyphae, you know, the, the fungi send out these long strands of hyphae, and glue like secretions of many bacteria and other soil creatures help to form soil aggregates. Um, this is a very important concept i don't have time to go into it but but aggregates you've heard people talk um, express concern about compaction in gardens you know you don't walk in the beds for example you that's compaction that that compaction is the opposite of aggregates when when you have good aggregates you have a soil that has a, a, a crumb we like to liken it to a a chocolate, well, let's say a carob cake. Okay. <laughs> All right. So it, it should have a nice moist crumb. And um Dwayne Lemon the other day was was mentioning that the ideal soil has um forty percent mineral, ten percent organic matter, or maybe you know even 5% you know should could be 45% mineral but anyways the, the critical thing is that the other half 25% and 25% should be air and water okay what that means is space the soil should not be compacted it needs space because the soil needs to breathe and it needs moisture you know it, we're, we're we we've got all these microorganisms that are that are keeping our plants alive they need to be kept alive they need air and water and so the but they they help to m- form these aggregates which helps to keep the the soil in a in a in a good structure it, it, the, if you have good aggregates they, they help to prevent erosion um, they, help to, um, they help with infiltration of water. That means when you have good aggregates, water is, is sucked into the ground instead of running off of it. And so then that means you, you not only get more water in the soil, but you also, you also have the, the soil retaining water longer. So, you know, we're, we're dealing with drought in a lot of places these these concepts are highly significant you know if, if you have um, if you have your soil with good aggregates in them you are going to be much more drought resistant than your neighbor who doesn't have that very significantly more <coughs> um, you see anything there on the ground <laughs> and there's more over here. I was really happy to see those in our garden. Um, uh, you know, that, that's a, a sign that, you know, you, um, you want your soil to have a, a nice balance of, of bacteria and fungi. And, and it seems like the, the ideal is kind of like half and half. When when soils are, are tilled frequently, um, they, they, get, they, they get overbalanced with um, with bacteria and and you lose your your microbes one of the things that that tilling does is I mentioned those microbes send out hyphae they send them out long distances and those hyphae that they they send out um are, are like extensions to the root systems from your plants they actually those hyphae communicate with other plants and um, and out you know, far in the soil. And, and so, they're, you know, if, you, if this plant here is, is needing selenium and doesn't have any, those hyphae are, are sourcing it way out there. And, and there may even be a plant that has extra and they'll source it from that plant. You know, there's, there's this communication going on underground that um, we're not aware of. And uh, it, it's very, very amazing what happens um, So there is no system of production or soil amendment that will fix what's wrong with your soil. Only your understanding of how the soil functions will fix what ails your soil. OK? Um, do you see anything wrong with this soil here? It's dry. It's compacted. And what, what's this here? It's kind of a crust that's a sign of a problem with the soil it's you know when when you don't have the good aggregates then you get that crust you don't want a crust on your soil so that's again from John Stika so the six principles of soil health are minimal disturbance armor or mulch you know if that soil back in that other picture um had something covering it it would be so much happier (laughs) it would be so much happier um diversity you know every every plant every every plant has its own signature exudates that it sends out so those exudates will will attract certain a certain um, population of bacteria and fungi. Another plant variety will have its own signature with its own um, population of, of fungi and bacteria. But with, the, with them communicating with each other like that, the more variety you have and, and the, more, the more variety of plants you have, the greater variety of, of um, microbial life you'll have in your soil. And, and the greater variety of microbial life you have, um, the more ability the plants are going to have to communicate and, and source what they need, you know, through, through all these communication systems that they have. Living roots in the soil. You don't want your soil to, to go for extended periods of time without living roots. Why? Everything dies. Okay. Yeah. What? What's everything? The insects yeah. The, the 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 bacteria and the fungi. Yeah. They don't. They don't have their life source. They don't have their food source anymore. And so they'll they'll die or go dormant. You know, they will come back again, but but you've kind of set yourself back. A bit you know it, it takes a while for them to 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 reform and regroup and 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 build their population back up again so the more the more you can keep living roots in the soil the the more of a jump start you're going to have you know next season when you're when you're ready to to go again animals um, you know God God created uh, it's another fascinating thing to me in Genesis if if you read Genesis carefully, God really placed Adam over the animals. And and by default over the rest of the creation. But there there is a there is some sort of a a relationship that takes place, you know, between the animals. The animals can do a lot of the work for us in the garden. Um, you know, chickens. They, they'll do a lot of the, the scratching and, and tearing things up, but then their, their manure is good, too. So anyways, there, there, there are significant benefits if you have land that you're growing on, if every once in a while you run animals on it and then take the animals off and then grow on it again, that, that kind of a pattern. That's that again is a kind of a natural pattern that would take place in nature But we can we can manage nature to make things even more productive than they are just in nature by itself And finally the the last principle is context what that means is that um, What's right in this situation is not necessarily right in this situation? You understand what I'm saying? You have to understand the context, what you're working with, and and figure out what's good for your situation. So, our experience with no-till. Um. Yes. Uh, number two, the armor. What, what was that again? Mulch. Oh, mulch. Okay, armor. Okay. Yes, yeah. So. Um, we started experimenting with no-till Well, we're in our third season now. Um, so we, we started by sowing a winter cover crop of wheat and peas in all of the unplanted sections of our hoop house garden. This is a picture of part of it. I, I don't know if you can see clearly. I, I broadcast the wheat and then I, I used a cedar to, to seed the peas. So there are two lines of peas and then the wheat is just broadcast throughout. Do you walk on the white or do you walk in the middle? We walk on the white. Okay. The white are, are covers. Okay. Yeah. So they're they're just down. They don't need to be up right there. So we don't mind walking on them. Um so in March I cut the cover crop down with a scythe and and took it outside and composted it i had some some old hay bales um, and so i i mixed the the fresh green with the brown of the hay bales and and composted it together Um, and then i then i covered these beds with black tarps to i'm going to talk more about this and explain it more but that that is to the I was concerned that the rye, I mean the, the wheat especially, might want to regrow. You know, grass when you cut it. Just keeps growing, doesn't it? <laughs> so, wheat is a grass. So I, I, I didn't want to just not do anything. So I, I covered it for three weeks so where it could not get any light. And, and then everything was dead after that. And then I, I took the cover, the, the cover crop that I had composted I brought it back in and spread it as mulch on the beds. So the roots are alive underneath the, it was the top stubble that was dying. Yeah. And and then we then we transplanted and and in some cases direct seeded into the the mulch. And I'll I'll talk more about how to how to do that. So this is what it looked like after we had taken the the cover crop off and after we had um, we have just taken the, the black tarps off now also. And that's what it looked like before we put the mulch back on. Our second experience, um, we had a portion of a hay field that we wanted to bring into production. It was about a third of an acre. So we tilled it. And then we went to I mean we we tilled it and like you know the next day or two after that um, Paul and I went to this conference where we heard Gabe Brown talk about (laughs) (laughs) no-till But um, As as you'll find out Tilling actually might be your best way to start your garden so don't don't rule it out completely. So that's the first thing do when you're starting up from scratch. It, it's not necessarily the first thing to do, but I think almost every one of the the authors in these books here um, that's their favorite way to break new ground and and start a no-till garden. It, it, it makes it a lot easier and I'll, I'll give you some reasons why in in a little bit here. So um What we did is after we we had it tilled we we put a portion of it about one-third of it. We put under black tarps we um, We seeded another portion of it with corn (coughs) and beans and some sweet potatoes and then and we seeded the the third third of it to a summer cover crop the portion that had the the summer cover crop had a lot of weed pressure we have we have a real problem with Johnson grass and I, I don't know if you Californians know what Johnson grass is but <laughs> it's a just just kind of imagine something like crabgrass on steroids you know, <laughs> it, it, it it'll grow it'll grow this tall and or taller and it, it, it has these, these big runners that are up to two feet underground and, and running all over the place. And when you, when you try to dig it out, I, I've seen just little tiny pieces like this that got left behind that sprouted a new, <laughs> a new plant. So, you know, they're, they're not easy to work with. Um... So, I, that, that portion that had the cover crop, it was kind of half Johnson grass and half cover crop. I, I mowed it down twice. It, I, it grew up, I mowed it down, it grew up, I mowed it down, and then, um, and then I covered it with, with tarps to, to kill it um and and then after that we we um seeded it with a winter cover crop and i used the haas seeder to do that uh, and I'll, I'll explain more about that so this is what the field looked like um uh, <coughs> after we had tilled it this actually what happened it was it wasn't good Planning On our part, but we we tilled the field then we went to the conference and then we came back and started working with it, it we, we gave the field too long to get weeds going so they, the, the weeds had a jump start on us um, In the upper corner here that that's our summer cover crop with the Johnson grass um, That this is our corn here, and then this is uh, That that winter cover crop Coming up where I I seeded it act, I seeded actually through the mulch with the Haas cedar, and I was I was really excited that it came up because I one of the, the things I, I had really puzzled over was how am I going to seed into a mulch yeah. I'm, I'm just not convinced that broad I haven't tried broadcast seeding because I don't think it's gonna work <laughs> but it might work I don't know but anyways the the Haas cedar. Uh, you can see it did pretty well this section here the the mulch was was very thick and so it didn't do quite as well but where it was you know a moderate thickness it it, it did well so the picture on that side is this this field right here, later that area here is this area down here okay. yeah yeah so this that's in the summer this is in the fall That's just, that's from the mowing, yeah. And then the cedar, does it like, it pokes it down? Do I'll, I'll show you a picture of the cedar, yeah. That comes right at the end. But this is our, our cover crop um, coming up in early winter. And this is what it looked like in the spring. You can see it's a, it's a mix. It was a winter mix of about seven or eight different things and i was really pleased like what looks what looked uh so it had i think we had three different grains we had at least three different legumes um, there's vetch there's peas and i think i think there's some crimson clover here yeah and um and then there were a number of brassicas and The 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 greater variety you can get in in your cover crop mix. Remember, we 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 were saying vari- um, diversity is really important. So, the, if you can get, but the I've seen charts where the, where they show the benefits that you get by adding um, different varieties. So, the, the the benefits climb steeply as you add one, two, three by the time you get to five there there you're kind of going over the curve again a bit and when you get to seven or eight it's it almost levels out and so it's still gaining but it's it's on a on a on a low trajectory after that so if you can get five to seven varieties and you want to you know don't don't make it five or seven varieties of grains you know make sure you're mixing grains and legumes and brassicas and and um, broadleaf things. So, yes. I believe that we bought this as a cover crop that was already mixed. We did, it's and that. yeah. And there is a there is a company that I highly recommend called Green Cover. Mm-hmm. Green Cover. They're in Nebraska, and you can um, they they specialize in cover crop seeds. And you, they, they have ready-made mixes, and you can also order a custom mix. They have all the individual varieties of of cover crop potential that you could ever dream of, and and you can mix and match how you want. <clears throat> what was the name of it again? Green cover, yeah. So, so the seeds already come mixed. You just yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah so our third experience we decided that we wanted to start a new garden up at our house on the hill so these these gardens are down near my son's house and we're about half a mile away up on a hilltop um, the, the soil and I, I don't think I mentioned we, we live in Tennessee and our, our our zone our climate zone is 7A. Just for for your knowledge. Um, so the the soil on our on our hilltop is very very hard and very very rocky. And um, you know I mentioned that you might want to till, you know, as your first thing you do when to start a garden. I did not want to till <laughs> up top there. It was, it, it was just, you know, I did not want to pull all those rocks up. And so we, we did another, another system. We decided to make beds with a heavy compost mulch. And so we put about four inches of compost per bed straight on top of a lawn. We did this in November. And um, and then the in the aisles uh, between the compost, we, we filled it in with wood chips. Um, on part of the, uh, so we made six fifty foot beds doing that, and um, with for two of the beds we laid cardboard down on the ground first and then put the compost on top. That would probably be ideal, but we didn't have cardboard enough to do the whole area. <laughs> so, yes. When we decided that we wanted to put a garden up near the house there, our that is totally different soil compared to where we were in the valley. The valley has very good soil, pretty much. But if we were going to do this and we had a lot of time, we would have tarped it first. And we did tarp that, thinking we could kill them for a little bit, but winter winter seeds or weeds don't die from a tarping when they're already dormant. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you would need to plan ahead if you want to get the weeds out by keeping a tarp on it for a long time through a whole year cycle of getting the weeds. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we knew we were going to be dealing with weeds. All right? Sure. But not as much as we realized when the screen came. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So... Um, in the in the spring, we, we seeded and transplanted straight into the mulch. Um, we did have some moderate weed pressure from crabgrass. I think I spent three or four half days over several months, you know, trying to taking it out by hand because th- that's the only way you could really do it. And I, I found that that after trying several things, I found that my tool of choice was a crowbar because I could dig down in the mulch and 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 pry it out and 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 find the runners I you know I don't like to break it off I, when, if I find a runner I like to follow it as far as I can underground and and get it all out so did you see a difference between your beds that you had cardboard on and the others to be honest I I did not there well there was a bit of a difference there yeah the there was not as much crabgrass down there as as there were in the, in the other beds um, there were still a few perennial weeds I'm going to talk about perennial there's a difference between perennial weeds and annual weeds um so this is what it looked like um this is when we 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 just dumped the compost we it's kind of expensive doing it this way (laughs) we we bought that compost and it would have been ideal if we had if we had put six inches on each bed but I just didn't feel like we could afford six inches (laughs) so we I mean we probably couldn't yeah we probably couldn't have shouldn't have afforded four inches but you know we we did it and so, I'm, I'm using, I like to, we, we use quite a bit of drip tape, and, and I, I, you know, after it gets old and holes in it, and whatever, I, I like to use it as my guides for, so I, we put, we marked out the beds with rebar, we have rebar in the corner of each bed, and then we, we used the drip tape to stretch out, and then we filled in with the with the compost. And those are the Amazon <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah What do you put between the beds? Is it it's wood chips. Yeah. So somebody asked, "What?" I, I'm forgetting. I'm supposed to repeat the questions. Somebody asked, "What did what did we put between the the beds?" And it's wood chips. Can you use sawdust? You could. Yeah. Somebody asked, "Can we use sawdust?" And and you could. Yes. So what is that? Pardon? What is sawdust? Sawdust. Yeah. Well, sawdust would come from a sawmill where they're sawing lumber, so it's finer than the wood chips. Yeah, my wife is saying that the wood chips are amazing because we don't we don't track in mud or dirt we, don't and do that. we yeah it, it has been a joy to work in this garden i, I will say that <laughs> i haven't minded working in it at, at all um so this is what it looked like in the spring and notice we're 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 experimenting with um you know Planting several different crops together in the bed. Uh, In this bed here, we had had carrots on the the ground, and then we had leeks, two rows of leeks. And so we had two outside rows of carrots, two rows of leeks, just a little bit in from the carrots. And then down the center of the bed, we, we did all of our tomatoes and eggplants and peppers. And so the the tomatoes you can just they're barely starting to come up, you, they're they're still kind of small there. So um, what what time what time is it? And we have to ten thirty. Is that right? Ten fifteen. Ah, okay. So these are the the basic steps for no-till and I want to be clear that you may not always you may not every time do every one of these steps you also may not do these steps in the order that I'm giving them you you might want to change the order for for different reasons but in in most cases you're going to be doing most of these steps if not all of them if you're doing a no-till garden. Um, so usually the first step is going to be mowing. Yeah. You just want to get, get the, the weed cover down as much as you can. There are several options for mowing. There, you can do a rotary mower. One, the one thing that I don't care so much about rotary mowers is that they tend to blow the stuff out you know and it, it tends to get wind road. you know that it's, it's lighter in some places and heavier in other places but um, you know if that's all you've got then that's fine um, a flail mower you're probably not going to have a flail mower unless you're a farmer They're they're somewhat expensive but they are very nice what this is looking on the underside of a flail mower it has these things here that are on kind of a, a chain link and, and so this um, rotates and, and those are, these are flails and so they're, they're spinning and so they, they chop up everything into small pieces, even sized pieces and it's all spread evenly on your ground. So if, if you are a farmer, um, that's, that's a really nice thing to have. Um, I, I like scything. I, 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 don't have a, I don't have an affinity for gasoline engines. <laughs> I, I like quiet things. And um, so scything is nice. But, but the other thing is a, a weed eater is not going to probably do the job that you want for, for cutting down a cover crop because it's going to throw stuff everywhere. And you want, you want all of that stuff... Contained on your bed where you were growing it usually And even if you don't want it all there you still want to collect it so that you can compost it I mean you you just don't want to waste it to the wind like <laughs> like a, a Weed eater will do so um, I I didn't even put a weed eater down because in my mind. It's not a good option um, And then you can also cut my hand. That's what Jennifer is actually doing here the, this is uh, some cover crop that was, we, we seeded among our other crops because we had, a, we had a, a rain event that washed out a bunch of these beds after we'd started planting into them. And I decided to plant cover crop in to, to anchor the, the beds in place so that wouldn't happen again. So that was kind of an unintended thing that we did, but it actually didn't work out that bad. And I'm... I'm thinking of doing more experiments along those lines. Um, so, terminating, how, how are you going to terminate the crop? That, that's the, termination is the next step. And, and that's probably the, the biggest question uh, about no-till. Um, when you're going to terminate a crop, and when I say a crop that that could be weeds that could be sod it could you know anything that's growing that you want to get rid of and replace with with your garden Um, you need to know what you're dealing with because different different plants have different characteristics and so you're you'll need different strategies to deal with them Um, annuals are almost always easier to deal with than perennials and because they they tend to be softer perennials tend to be woodier okay Um, and so most of the strategies we we have for dealing with um, for for terminating a crop are in a no-till way most of the strategies we have Work very well on annuals. They don't work very well on perennials, especially tap-rooted and underground-running ones. Um, those those can be very difficult to get rid of. So um, one one way, probably the the best way to get rid of the the tap roots and underground-running things. Would be frequent very low mowing or tillage there there is one other way that I'll mention Um, but so actual termination strategies one is herbicide Um, I don't recommend um, chemical herbicide you you can do it if you want but um, there are you can there are organic herbicides, and and you can act there are if you look online you can find recipes to make them yourself most of them are based on vinegar and um, but herb- these organic herbicides in particular uh, Tend to work well on the small fresh plants. They don't work well on older and woodier plants flame weeding. Um, is basically the same thing. It, it works well on the on the small tender plants. It is not going to work well on the older woody ones. Um, winter kill is a strategy. You know there are there are certain plants that are killed by frost, and so you can um, plan to to grow a cover crop that would be killed by frost, and and then you could let it sit. Dead as a mulch over the winter. That's that's one thing that some farmers do um, They if you do that you do need to keep in mind that there, You may have weeds there that are not killed by the By the frost and that, that may be something that you'll need to deal with um, The roller crimpers are the way most um, big farmers who are doing no-till that's the way they go and it's very nifty this this thing you see it's in the front of the tractor it's attached to the bucket and um it's it's knocking the crop the the cover crop down and and crimping it these these things here put crimps in it and it kills the the cover crop and then what he's got behind here is a no-till seed drill. And so he's actually, in one pass, he's, he's knocking down the cover crop and seeding his, his follow-on crop behind it. So it's a, it's a very efficient and, and nifty way to do things. Most of us on a home garden scale aren't going to be able to do this. <laughs> what is that called, the it's called uh, on the back? It's called, on the back, it's a no-till seed drill. Yeah. Um, a fun, one, another way is is to mow at the flowering stage. When when a, most plants, they have a, a growth stage, and then when they begin to flower, they are maturing, and and the the technical word is senescence. They're entering into senescence, and. Um, <laughs> yeah it's it's maturity (laughs) and uh at that time they're putting they're putting most of their energy into reproduction and not into growth and so they're they are more fragile and so it is easier to kill them by mowing them at that stage you know at the flowering stage you don't want to let the flowering go to seeding You know, so you have to watch your window there closely. Um, One year seeding is seven years weeding. That's an old farmer's (laughs) tip. So um, this is a termination method. So these termination methods that I've just mentioned, I'm telling them to you, but I don't think they're that practical, to be honest. This is one that I have not used, but I think it has potential. Um, So what you're doing is you're using clear plastic to generate heat. And you want to be cautious in doing this, because um, it will generate very high heat. And it can actually sterilize your soil. And why are we doing no-till? We're wanting to preserve the biology of the soil right (laughs) so so we don't want to sterilize it, but um, there are uh, There are farmers this guy in particular That's his this is his method of choice for for terminating crops he does it um, for one or two days he says I I don't know I said one day or less I think it should be one or two days Um, and he says the it has to be done when the temperatures are at 75 degrees or higher and it will only work but he he lives in Connecticut and for him it only works between May and September so in other words you have to have long enough days with the Sun directly above enough and and hot enough for it actually to get hot enough to kill the, the, the plants. Um, you can use old hoop house plastic, the six millimeter plastic. One thing to keep in mind is if you're, if you're using old plastic, um, if you're like us, the, the, the plastic is guaranteed for four years and we try to get six if we can. <laughs> but by that time, it's usually starting to disintegrate. On, it, on its own, and so it might, you know, if if your plastic has reached that stage, it might not be the ideal plastic to use for this. Um, but you can also buy um, contractor plastic, four mil plastic. I just checked, and and you can get a twelve by one hundred from Lowe's for sixty five dollars. So you're using uh, clear plastic. Not clear, plastic. yeah, this is clear plastic. There's a, there's enough. A, the next method is using black. This is using clear so this is using heat to kill the plants Um, So the the pros and cons it's fast It's very fast and that's that's very nice because a lot of these other methods take take time But it 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 may not completely kill the weeds. I although Brian O'Hara this guy um, really likes it and says it works well. I was reading some researchers in New Hampshire that did a comparison of of black tarps and and clear plastic, and they said that the um the tarps were clearly superior but they um they did allow that they may not have done some things right with the clear plastic you know there there are so many variables you you might not have gotten something right, so I don't know but i I do think it's something i as I said, I have not done it, but I think it's worth experimenting with, looking at. Um, so the, what I do have experience with is what we call occultation. Um, that's not dabbling in the occult. But the word means dark, so you understand where it's coming from. And so we're we're blocking the light so the plants can't grow. So we're using using this system. We're not. It's not the heat that's killing them. It's the absence of light. Um, So what we use generally for this purpose are silage tarps. They're black on one side white on the other. You can also use landscape fabric. The, the downside of landscape fabric is that it you know, comes in, in narrow rolls. If you have a large space, that might not work well. But if you're doing individual beds, um, the landscape fabric might, might work well. I mean, it, it can work well. Uh, so, but um, you're not limited to these things. Cardboard and newspaper and, and mulch and compost are doing the same thing. So, uh, generally, if you're using cardboard, cardboard and, uh, or newspaper, you'll want to put mulch and or compost on top of it yeah, to hold it down. But, um, so, the, the pros and cons of occultation is that it will ki- kill the weeds. Um, it can be used to kill perennial weeds. It can I've done it but um, for for most annuals you'll need it you'll need to have it on for two or three weeks to me that's a downside Um, you're tying up a lot of gardening time in in this process to deal with the perennials um, I, I killed Johnson grass by keeping tarps on for three months in the summer that you know Keeping them on in the winter doesn't count because the the stuff is dormant anyways, so um, It you can do it, but it's it's you know, it's a it's a big commitment of time Um, One thing one thing to keep in mind when you're when you're doing the the tarping is that You're killing the weeds of the current season not the, the next season so if you you know if you have Tarps on for a certain season and and you you take them off coming into the next season because you're wanting to to grow um, You may not have the advantage that you thought you were going to have <laughs> I've I've experienced that at a time or two um, So finally We're talking our time's up We're, we're talking about tillage We've I've already mentioned that so I think I'll just leave it Um, Another thing that you need to do is is manage your residue you can leave it in place You can take it off um, and compost it like I said one thing to keep in mind is that if you're going to direct seed you'll need to clear your debris off we try to transplant as much as we can and we, we only direct seed very few things and um, we were able to do that um, using this system. You may want to add amendments. Um, it's not necessary, but if you're, if you're able to, I would, I would encourage you to add rock powders or other things if you can. Um, I put that anthill in there. In Africa, they, they actually encourage, you know, if they, if they don't have anything else that they can add. Get dirt from an anthill because it's it's rich in minerals that, that, that's been mined up from underneath um, You can transplant direct in but you need to keep there, There's a trick when you're when you're doing no-till and you're transplanting um, with, with no-till we don't ever pull out plants by their roots okay because we want those roots in the ground even if we're cutting the plant off we want the roots there because the roots have all that microbiology on them and and that can be available to new plants that are growing so um, but that means you've got stumps in your in your ground okay so when you when you're following a crop with another crop you want to think of something that has spacing that is going to fit around what your previous crop had you don't want to be planting on top of those stumps. Does that make sense? You know if you if you had something with three rows in a bed you might might want to put in something that has two rows. You know so that you're not going where those other rows were or you you, you can figure out what to do. But that's just something to keep in mind when you're transplanting. Um, with direct seeding uh, I'm just going to show you the cedars here. Um, this is the Haas cedar, and this is a very common cedar, the Earthway cedar, but I'm, what makes the Haas cedar work well are, are these two things here. The, the seeds fall, there's a tube that comes down right between these two discs, and these discs rotate. And so when you're, when you're going over residue, you know, crop residue that's in the, on the ground, these two things, um, they don't actually cut it, but they'll, they'll ride up over it and, and press it down. The main thing is, because they turn, they don't collect anything in front of them. This one here has this kind of a shovel thing. When, as you're pushing that through residue, you're going to start collecting residue in front of you, and, and it, it's going to be unmanageable. So, there are other seeders besides the Haas that have these kinds of things. So, if you think that you might be wanting to, to sow, direct seed into ground that has residue, look for a seeder that has um, two disks like that, 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 are, that are rotating. I think that's it. <laughs> Which crops do you direct seed? <laughs> um, we, we direct seed most beans carrots uh beets we will sometimes transplant and sometimes direct seed radishes Radishes will direct seed and and if you want to like any kind of baby greens that you want to sow thickly you'll you'll direct seed those but otherwise i don't think there's anything else that we direct seed